Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, love you, and adore you. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather as Mishpacha's family today to hear from you, to receive from you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word that you will speak into our hearts and our lives, that it be your voice heard, your word spoken. Father, that nothing of myself will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. This week we are in Parsha B'Shalach, which comes from Exodus 13, 6, uh, 13, 17 through 17, 16. Um, so if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Exodus 13, 17, the beginning of the Parsha. Um, as we look through this Parsha, there's a number of things that really boldly stand out, some of which we're going to read, some of which we're just going to talk about this morning, because there's so much that happens in this Parsha. In really just a few short days of Israel's experience, there is so much that happens uh, here in this Parsha that it would be remiss of us not to take the time to give the entirety of the Parsha the credence it deserves and the opportunity for the Lord to speak through it. So with that said, we're just going to dive in uh, to the text and we're going to spend about four and a half hours this morning digging through I'm just joking. Um, Exodus 13, 17 says... After Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, although that was nearby. For God said the people might change their minds if they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Sea of Reeds, and Manasseh went, went up out of the land of Egypt armed. So let's pause here for just a second, right? First and foremost, Israel just left Egypt. There was all of the signs and wonders and miracles that brought us out of Egypt and on the, the path toward the promised land. The Lord says that he's not going to direct uh, Israel to go through the land of the Pishim, the Philistines. Now, we know the Philistines to be that one group of people that's a constant thorn in Israel's side throughout the remainder of the Tanakh, and, and even today, that particular territory of land in Gaza, um, which no longer is inhabited by the Philistines, uh, but instead by a group of people who have chosen the nomenclature Palestinians in, in spite of Israel because of the Philistines, um, they, uh, that, that area of land in the Gaza is still a problem for Israel today. So we see that God knew way in advance. I mean, he's God. He knows all. He knew way in advance what Israel's heart was going to be like if they immediately came across war. What's interesting, though, is that he's not actually leading them away from war. He's just leading them to a different war. You notice this, right? So we read through the Parsha. There's still an army. Like, they didn't face this army, but instead this army's coming, right? So it wasn't that he led them away from war. He just led them away from that war and, and into a different war. Um, and so it's interesting to look at that and to notice it. He goes on to say, so God led uh, the people of Israel, uh, the people around, by the way, of the wilderness of the sea to the Sea of Reeds, the Amsuf, and B'nai Israel went up out of the land of Egypt armed. They were slaves, right? They didn't have armaments of their own, which means their arms came from Egypt, just like all of their gold and silver and all of these things that the Egyptians handed over to them when they were saying, look, we'll pay you, just leave. 
Uh, they hands all this stuff over to Israel. Israel leaves not only with the arms necessary, with the, the ability necessary to fight wars that would be facing them in advance. And we know just after this, uh, at the end of this Parsha, that Israel immediately faces a war, right? Uh, Aaron up on the, the hilltop and Aaron and her holding his arms up so that uh, his arms don't fall and Israel doesn't lose and Joshua leading them in a battle and, and so on. The, the arms that they go into war with there are what they left Egypt with here. And so what we see is that God provided them all the tools necessary for them to be victorious on the journey that the Lord was taking them on. Not only that, but he also provided in, in last week's Parsha, we read that Egypt gave all of their gold and silver and so on to Israel before they left. So we see that not only did God provide them the tools necessary for them to be successful on this campaign, but he also provided them the, the supplies necessary ultimately to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, in which his presence that is leading Israel would reside in the midst of Israel upon. So we see that God is, is doing all of these things way in advance of what he needs but so that Israel is prepared and has what is needed for the fight ahead. Verse 22 says, The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never departed from the people. So we see a setup right here immediately. There's during day a pillar of cloud and during night a pillar of fire, providing not only the direction Israel is going to go as they wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Um, how many of us in trying to figure out what the Lord wants us to do with our lives really wishes we had that pillar before us right now, right? It would make life so much easier if all we did was follow that thing around as opposed to having to, to figure out what he's got in store, right? Um, but there's this pillar of fire and, and smoke, uh, fire and cloud that leads them through the promised land. Again, this, is, this discussion in this very moment is a setup for what is about to happen as Israel diverts from one war and is, avert, or, and is walking right into what should be another war. We go on to, uh, to 14 verse 1. Says, Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, so that they turn back and encamp by Pir Hahiroth, uh, between Migdol and the sea. You are to camp by the sea opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will say concerning B'nai Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so he will follow after them. Then I will be glorified over Pharaoh, along with all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai. So they did so. Um, what's interesting here is the, the particular place that God chooses for Israel to encamp at and to await for Egypt to, uh, to come in and, and face them from the rear of their uh, encampment. It says, he, God told him, uh, speak to B'nai Israel, so that they, verse 2, so that they turn back and encamp by before Pir Hahiroth, between Magdal and the sea. You are to camp by the sea opposite Baal Zephon. Baal Zephon is an Egyptian god. It's a, a, an Egyptian idol. It's one of the idols that they worshipped. Uh, and Jewish tradition says it's actually the only god of Egypt that, that God did not destroy in the plagues, the ten plagues that came upon Egypt. And the, the, the rabbis say, the sages say, the reason this occurred was because God was going to be leading Israel in this direction and he wanted to use Baal the god of Egypt, as a, uh, uh, a lure, a trap, if you would, for Egypt because he knew that as soon as Pharaoh heard that Israel had stopped short of actually leaving the, total, the territory of Egypt, that they had stopped short of being able to cross over the sea and they were just standing there waiting like a... a uh, um, uh, 
ducks sitting there waiting to get slaughtered, not willing to move, not willing to go anywhere. They're just hanging out there like deer trapped in headlights. And, uh, and he knew that the Pharaoh, as soon as he heard the report of this, was going to go, our God, stop them. Let's go and fix this. The last remaining God of Egypt. See, we knew our gods were still better than, than, than their God. We knew that our God would overcome their God. We just didn't know which one. And so here we see it's Baal Let's go out and let's take them here. And Baal will take care of us and protect us. And, uh, and the sages say that God uses as the perfect trap. And we know that's exactly what happened is that Israel gets, or Egypt gets word of what Israel is doing, the fact that they look like they're aimlessly wandering around. They go in this direction, they stop, they turn around, they go in that direction, they stop. They go and they're standing at the shores of the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds, and they've got no way across. Like, there's not a whole bunch of boats standing there waiting to take them across. Uh, you're not going to have 600,000 men hop in rowboats and try and quickly row across the, 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 the sea, the, the lake, or anything like this, right? As a matter of fact, it's interesting too that in this Parsha is where the sages talk about how many Gentiles came out, how many of those of the nations came out with uh, Israel. And the, the sages say that there was five to every one. There were five Gentiles to every one uh, Israelite that came out of Egypt to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we know there were 600,000 men of Israel that left. So if it's five to one, just do quick math, it's about three million people that were Gentiles that left with with Israel. Just throwing that out there for you. I mean, we have no way of proving that factually. It's just a really interesting thing to look at, um, that there was as many as 3 million non-Jews that left with the 600,000 men of war of Israel to go and serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So as soon as this happens, as soon as Israel sees that the nation, the armies of the nation of Egypt are approaching them, and I want to I want to set this up for you. I want you to see the irony of what's about to happen. As soon as Israel sees the forces of Egypt crashing down upon them, all Egypt has are their chariots. Israel has all of their armaments. Israel has all of their weapons. Israel has everything necessary to defeat Egypt as Egypt is rushing on them. But as soon as they see the chariots of Egypt coming down upon them, they immediately begin to scream out in fear. They begin to cry out to Moses, why did you bring us out here? Were there not enough graves for us to die in Egypt? Why did you have to bring us out here to drown in the sea? Why did you not leave us where we were? Why did you put us in this situation? And the reality is, is God is who set this up because God is trying to do something. He's trying to, to prove something to both Israel and Egypt. He's trying to show Egypt that he is the supreme deity of all the universe, that he is the one true and only God of all creation, and that he's got control over all creation. He's trying to prove to Israel that he is the God of their forefathers, that his promises are true, but he's talking to an entire generation of slaves trapped in the slave mentality, trapped in the mentality of Egypt took care of us. Uh, they, they didn't know how to get out of this mentality. They didn't know how to move forward from here. So everything that went, that appeared to go wrong before them, there was no room in their mentality for them to go, maybe this is God setting something up. Instead, they kept looking back going, things would have been better for us back there if we just hadn't come here. And so the, the, the Israel, the nation of Israel, bickers and complains and gripes against God. And then in verse 13, but Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of Adonai, which he will perform for you today. You have seen the Egyptians today, but you will never see them again, ever. Adonai will fight for you while you hold your peace. In other words, you are griping, you are complaining, you are mumbling 
about what God is doing. You are mumbling because you don't understand what God is trying to show you. You are complaining because you think you know better than God. But sit back, shut up, buckle up, and enjoy the ride because God is about to do something awesome in your midst. And the very next thing that we see as Israel is still complaining and fearful is as Egypt approaches the nation of Israel, the presence of the God of all creation and the, the, the Shekinah, the divine glory of God, and the pillar of cloud and fire ascends over the nation of Israel, comes across them and lands in between the nation of Israel and the warriors of Egypt. And he provides total darkness for the warriors of Egypt and light for the nation of Israel. Those on Egypt's side could not see past the cloud to even know where Israel was to try and fight. The Lord says, I will fight for you. I will bring you salvation. I am doing this. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. And that's exactly what he did. He provided victory. As a matter of fact, when we go into the book of Joshua and we read about the battles of Joshua, you realize it's like four or five battles in before Israel ever actually has to swing a blade to fight for themselves. And even in that situation, God brings a miraculous victory. As we look through the book of Joshua, Jericho was a miraculous divine event. Then there's a battle where there's fiery hellstone falling from heaven that wipes out the forces they're fighting. God's continually fighting. God's prepared a way. We just have to be willing to follow him. We have to be willing to follow that cloud. And so here Israel stands at the shores of the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds. They see the armies of Israel behind them. They've just seen the pillar of the presence of the Lord rest behind them and provide light for them and darkness for Egypt. They have left in the middle of the night. All of a sudden they go, okay, what do we do now? This is cool. This is fun. What do we do now? And God tells Moses, what are you talking to me for? I've already given you the tools necessary. Raise your staff and watch what happens. And the waters part. And the scriptures tell us that there was a wall on the right of water and a wall on the left of water and that the ground where the water once stood was 100% completely dry. And Israel was able to walk through on foot. And before daybreak, the entire nation of Israel, 600,000 men of war, plus women and children, plus upwards of 3 million Gentiles who left with them, crossed the Yom Suf on dry ground in the course of a few hours, walking across the shores on the other side. They get to the other side. They turn around. They realize that the presence of Lord has now lifted and the armies of Israel are rushing them. This time, this time their attitude was a little different. This time they just wait to see. And as soon as the armies of Egypt rush into the what used to be the waters of the Yamsuf, the dry ground changes to mud. And as soon as it changes to mud, the chariots' wheels get stuck. And they jump out of the chariots and their boots get stuck. Our sandals, I guess, is more accurate, get stuck. And then the waters begin to crash down upon them. And in one incident, the Lord wipes out the entire army of Egypt, including Pharaoh himself, wipes out the entirety of the forces of Egypt, and brings a miraculous, miraculous victory for the nation of Israel, not by Israel's might, not by Israel's power, not by Israel's warfare, not by Israel's doing, not by anything of Israel being involved. As a matter of fact, they were still angry at God because they didn't know what was going on. God did it by his own might and power. God did it by his own divine ordinance. God provided the victory and salvation, the redemption for the nation of Israel in ways that we could never dream of, in ways that Israel could have never dreamed of. 
Over and over again throughout the Torah, we see these kinds of events occur. But in particular, as we look through this Parsha, we notice that it's not just in the, the miraculous warfare realities that God is able to provide for His people even when they don't understand it or they don't see it, but we also see that in the midst of Israel's journey, they make it across the Yom Suf, they're on the other side. Moses just finishes singing the Song of Moses. We just finished getting the words to the, the prayer Micha Mocha that we sing every week in our service. All all of these things just happen. The, Mir- the song of Miriam and the women dancing with Miriam and the tambourines and all this stuff going on and all this prayer and worship and rejoicing and what the Lord has done. And then instantly, I mean, it's like the, the light switch shuts off. Instantly, Israel turns back to complaining. And in verse 22 of chapter 15, then Moses led Israel onward from the Sea of Reeds. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, but they traveled three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, uh, they could not drink from the waters because they were bitter on account of this. It was called Marah. Uh, so the people complained to Moses saying, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to Adonai and Adonai showed him a tree. When, they, when he threw it into the waters, they were made sweet there. He made a statute, uh, a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. He said, if you diligently listen to the voice of Adonai your God, do what is right in his eyes, pay attention to his mitzvot, his commandments, and keep all of his decrees, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am Adonai who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. The Jewish sages say that this verse 27 is actually a foreshadowing of heaven. Because if we look at it, it's a, uh, a paradise scenario in the middle of the desert, right? You've got these streams, 12 streams. You've got the, the 70 palm trees. There's place to rest and shade from the sun, and there's water to drink, and everything is perfect. But if we look at the numbers, there's 12 streams, 70 palm trees. How many nations does the Scripture say there are? 70 nations. How many tribes of Israel are there? 12. It is from the nation of Israel that salvation flows, and it is through the salvation that flows through Israel that Jew and Gentile will be united for eternity in the presence of the King forever. So the sages tell us that verse 27 here is, is merely a foreshadowing, a reminder. And, and it, it's the only time we see something. It's one verse. It's not like there's this whole experience that goes on there. They just have this beautiful, tranquil, peaceful experience. And they move on and they go back to being miserable and horrible and crying, crying and griping and complaining and almost immediately. Uh, so we get into verse six, uh, chapter 16. Chapter 16, we see that all of a sudden they're grumbling and complaining they got nothing to eat. Their, their matzah that they had baking on their backs as they left Egypt, their matzah has run out. They've got nothing to eat. And they begin to grumble and complain. We have no bread. We have no meat. We have nothing to eat. What are we going to do? Why did you bring us out here to die? Could we not have starved well enough in Egypt? Why are we here? And the Lord says, you just sit back, wait and watch, and I'll take care of you. In the morning when you wake up and you walk out of your tents, there's going to be dew on the ground. When the dew resides, there will be uh, a substance on the ground. You can gather that substance and you can make bread from it. And the Lord provides manna from heaven. The Lord provides bread from heaven. Interestingly enough, in Hebrew, the word is manhu, right? It's not manna. Manna is the transliteration into English and it's really very lazy at that. Um, But in Hebrew, it's literally manhu. Manhu in Hebrew simply means, what is this? Israel walked out of their tents and went, what is this? 
And then he picked it up and started making food out of it. But that, that's exactly what manhu means, is what is this? We, we cried out, okay, God, we're hungry. The crap is this. <laughs> Never seen this, but this is weird. What do we do? With? And so Aaron takes a bunch of it and puts it in a jar and tightens the jar. It gets put in the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant later as a, for, a uh, memorial for all eternity to the nation of Israel of God's providence and provision for his people. And brings in quail. They complain because they've got no meat. And we see the first account of the quail being rushed in. Uh, and then we see uh, the war against Amalek. And, and Moses is standing on the hilltop, as we said. And Joshua is going into battle, leading Israel into battle. And Moses is there. And when his arms are, are up, Israel's winning. When his arms drop, Israel's losing. So Aaron and Hur hold his arms up. He sits down. They hold his arms up so that Israel ends up winning and defeating the Amalekites. And then God pronounces a curse over the Amalekites and so on and so forth. Here's what I want to look at, what I want to deal with uh, for the last few minutes of, of our time together this morning. I went through all of this, and I, I just very swiftly and briefly tried to run through the Parsha for us, but the, as we look through all of this, there's a continual theme that occurs, and I think it's a theme that we as believers today constantly battle with. I think it's a theme that we as believers today are always in the middle of, and we can't figure out how to get around or, or to overcome it. And that theme is, is that we can't see the grander picture of what God is doing, right? We can see what's right before our eyes. We have 20-20 vision of right before our eyes. We know when things are going good and when things are going bad, but we can't see the grander scheme. See, Israel couldn't see everything that was going on. Israel didn't know that in God's mind, he knew that if Israel went to the Philistines and they saw war immediately, they would run back to Egypt and enter back into slavery. He knew that, but Israel didn't know that. Israel didn't even know there was another option. They didn't know that they could have gone through the Philistines' territory. They didn't see the grander picture. All they saw was right then and there. There was water in front of them. There were, was no way out, no escape on either side of them. And there was the armies of Egypt running up on them. And this God that says he wants to provide salvation and redemption for them has now trapped them here to die. All they saw was right before their eyes. If they had simply trusted in God, if they had simply put all of their faith in the Lord, they would have realized that God had something grander in play, that God had a, was able to see the greater picture, and that God had a, a plan for bringing them from what seemed to be ultimate destruction to what is eternal life. But they had no way of seeing that, and they didn't have the foundation of faith in the Lord to be able to trust what was to come, or even to be able to trust that He was going to do something to bring what was to come. Then they get across the sea and they go to the other side and, and all of a sudden they're hungry. And the Lord had provided this, this matzah for them to eat and that was great, but then the matzah ran out. And they couldn't see what was coming down the road. They couldn't see everything else that what God was doing. They couldn't grasp that God had brought all this provision for them and bringing them out of Egypt. They couldn't see any of the greater picture. They just could only see what was right before their eyes. And what was right before their eyes was we're out of food and we're hungry. Did we be, were we really brought out here just to die, to starve to death? We're out of food, we're hungry. What are our children going to eat? What are our wives going to eat? What are our old, old people going to eat? What are we going to do? When in reality, what they should have done was trusted in the Lord's provision, trusted in the Lord's plan, and trusted that the Lord had something in store because whether or not Israel griped or not, God was providing that manhu. It's not like God suddenly came up with a plan B, right? It wasn't like, oh, I forgot, I mean... I had it planned out how to get you out of Egypt. I didn't think about how to make sure you had food. That one's that, my bad. That's on me. I'll take care of this. God didn't have a plan B. There's God's plan. You know, there's the perfect will and passive will or permissive will, whatever garbage that runs around. There's no such thing as permissive will. 
There's God's will. You're either in it or you're out of it. There's no way to get around that, okay? It's, God doesn't have plan A's, plan B's, plan C's. He's got his plan, and we're either on board or we're in the way. And that's really all there is to it. And so Israel, they don't see what's going on around them, and they can't recognize that God's plan is provision no matter what. And so as they can't recognize this, they've got no way to grasp that all they have to do is ask, right? All they have to do is say, we're hungry, will you feed us? We trust in you to do what you say you're going to do. Will you just provide for us? Or to sit back and go, hey, we don't know what you got in store, but we're willing to wait and see. We're just going to sit here and we'll see what you've got and, and we'll follow whatever you say. God provides for them in spite of their attitudes. Notice a lot of times in our own lives, God provides for us in spite of our attitudes, right? When we have a tough time, we have a, 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 a bill that's due, uh, I, think, I think, look, only because this is pervasive in our reality right now as a Senate, I think about our property, right? The end of the year, pay up or get out. That's really what we're looking at right now, right? And, and, and in the long run, we know, okay, God's provided all these things. Like, we can look at everything God has done uh, as a divine ordinance that he has done for our congregation to bring us back here and to, to make everything happen the way it is. But it, it, going the other direction... We're looking forward and we're going, uh, how is this going to work out? Um, I, I'm going to trust in you, God, but I don't know how this is going to work out. We could easily have looked at this and gone, we're totally screwed. Like, you know, God said he was going to provide this building, but he hadn't provided the funds to make sure we still have it in a year from now. What are we going to do? God, did you really put us here just so we could die out and not be anything in a year? Is that really what you did? But instead, we're trusting and we're going, hey, you put us here. You made this happen. You put this into play. We're just going to wait and see what you're going to do. And as you lead us, we're going to follow and we're going to do what we feel you're leading us to do. And we sent all these letters out and we've uh, filled out this application and we've got these pledge drives going. We've got all these different things happening and we're just trusting in what God is going to do. And to be perfectly honest, I have no clue how it's going to all pan out. I just know that God's going to provide the manna somehow. I don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to have all the answers. Look, I look at things like our congregation grows and grows and grows, but then we also have these really 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 weird what in the world? These really weird roller coaster attendances sometimes, right? Where one week we'll have 60, 70 plus people and then the next week we've got 25 people. Uh, we, we, we're in a place right now where for the last month and a half, two months, we've never had more than half of our membership in attendance on a Shabbat. That's weird. Right? And, and if you ask people what's going on, if you talk to people, what you realize is this person's sick or this person's car's broke down or this is going on or this is going on or this is... It's not like people are like, I just didn't want to wake up today. Right? People aren't like, I just didn't feel like it. You know, I really just didn't have that whole Shabbat Shalomi thing going on today. So I figured I'd just stay at home. I didn't want to get mixed up in whatever you guys had going on. And, and you know, that might get on me and ruin the mood I'm in right now. So... That's not the people, I mean, it's, it's, seriously, there's stuff going on, and I'm looking at it, and we were talking about this this morning uh, before service, and, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, I sense that there's something that's about to happen, like there's something about to break through. I don't know what it is, I don't know what's going to, but there's something about to break through. And at the same time, I sense that the enemy senses something's about to break through, and the enemy's going, you know what? I can't have this. <laughs> Let's throw some roadblocks in here. Let's throw some Yam Sufs in. Let's throw some matzah running out and they're hungry. Let's throw in some Israel, Egypt's crashing down on them. Let's throw in are coming to fight. Let's throw in a little bit of this and let's throw in a little bit of that. And we have a choice. In, in all honesty, we have a choice. We have a choice to go, man, this stinks. I'm just, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I can't do it. Or we can go, all right, God, I don't know why. I don't know what but I know you're at work and I'm just going to let you do your thing 
And I'm going to follow you wherever you're going to go, whatever you're going to have us do, we're just going to follow you and trust in you and wholeheartedly rely on you, not grumble and not complain. Um, you know, I'm Jewish. That's a hard thing to get around sometimes. Um, but, but we're not going to grumble. We're not going to complain. We're just going to ride it out and see what's coming because the Lord is doing something. We can't see the greater picture. All right, We don't have that accessibility right now. We can't see the greater picture, but we know what the Lord has promised and we know what is in store and we can either walk with it or we can be Israel out in the wilderness whining and crying and end up losing an entire generation. The question is, which do we want to be? See, I want to bring this home for you real quick. I want you to turn to John chapter 6. Turn to John chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. It says, now when evening came, Yeshua's disciples went down to the sea. Now, Yeshua's disciples, these are the dudes that literally walked hand in hand, foot, uh, uh, John 6, uh, I'm sorry, John 6, verse 16. They walk hand in hand with Yeshua day in and day out. They watch everything that he's doing. They see what he's doing. And this is what transpires. Verse 16. Now when evening came, Yeshua's disciples went down to the sea, getting into a boat. They set out to cross the sea toward Capernaum. By now it had become dark, and still Yeshua had not come to them. A great wind began to blow, stirring up the sea. After they had rowed about 25 or 30 stadia, which, uh, if memory serves me, look at the footnote, I think it's about three miles, uh, three to four miles. Uh, after they had rowed about 25 or 30 stadia, they catch sight of Yeshua walking on the sea. Could you imagine, you're three miles out in the middle of, of the Galilee, and all of a sudden some dude's just happily walking up to you. Right? I mean, not like, it's not like there's this boardwalk. He's, he's walking across the, the water, walking up to you. They, uh, they catch sight of Yeshua walking on the sea, approaching the boat. They were terrified. Notice it doesn't say they see some random dude walking on the water. It says they see Yeshua. They recognize who it is. They recognize who is walking. This is his disciples. These are the people that have seen him heal people. These are the people that have heard him teach. These are the people that have walked with him hand by hand, foot by foot, seeing what the Lord is doing through him, recognizing that he is the Mashiach. They see a miraculous thing. They see him walking on the waters. They were terrified. But Yeshua says to them, I am. Don't be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and right away the boat reached the shore where they were headed. And we go forward to verse 29, Yeshua answered them, this is the work of God, trust and the one he sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you perform so that we may see and believe you? What work do you do? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness as it is written, out of heaven he gave them bread to eat. And Yeshua answered them, amen, amen, I tell you, it isn't Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one coming down from heaven and giving life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread from now on. And Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We read from John 6 this morning because of the reality that this is a reenactment of the power of God over the natural things of this world that we read about in Exodus. In Exodus, God shows his superiority over his creation with the parting of the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds, something that is not possible 
but God made possible. And they walk through on dry ground. Here the disciples are on the Galilee and they're, 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 they're paddling along. And all of a sudden, as the waters are getting rough and the boat's starting to toss and the waves are coming and the wind is blowing, here comes Yeshua, salvation, walking across the sea, something that is impossible. It is not real in the world that we live in. The only way it could happen is if something supernatural is occurring. And here is God himself robed in flesh walking across the sea and they become terrified. But the Lord says, I am. Don't worry. Just like God says to Israel at the, the Yom Suf, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. I've got this. I, I'm in control. I will fight for you. You just sit back, shut up, buckle up and enjoy the ride. I've got this under control. And here Yeshua tells his disciples the same thing. I am. Do not be afraid. In other words, he says, I am God. I am God robed in flesh. Do not be afraid. And then we move forward a little later in number six, and there's the discussion of the manna and the bread from heaven, and, and Yeshua says, if you believe in me, you'll have the bread from heaven. You will have the bread of life. You will have the waters that never run dry. You will never be thirsty or hungry again. You will never be Israel dying in the wilderness because you cannot see what God is doing. If you trust in me, if you walk with me, if you faithfully serve me, if you allow me to provide your salvation and atonement and redemption, you will never, ever have to worry again. doesn't mean we won't. We'll never have to. Right? doesn't mean we won't. You'll never have to worry again. I will take care of this. See, we live in a pretty rough day and age, right? Um, where we sit in history is, is not the greatest point to be alive. Uh, we see the, the scriptures, prophet, end-time prophecy becoming reality. We see wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters. I mean, just two states over, you know, large portions of New Orleans were wiped out by some monstrosity of a tornado. Anybody see the video of that? I think it was a beast. Uh, some monstrosity of a tornado. And, uh, you know, we've got tidal waves and we've got earthquakes and we've got volcanoes erupting. We've got all these things happening all the way around the world. We've got wars and rumors of wars and, and rumors of rumors of wars that are really going on and, and all of these kinds of things that are happening all around the world. We know Messiah is coming back. We know his return is soon. The question is, are we going to be Israel in the wilderness, the first generation constantly crying out and bickering and complaining because things are rough? Or are we going to be willing to trust in the Lord that even when things are rough, that even when all the bad things that Scripture says has to happen, start to happen, that God's got it under control. See, Yeshua says in the Gospels that there will come a day where even some of the elect will be led astray. And I believe the reason they're led astray is because they can't grasp that there's a grander picture happening. And just because stuff is rough now doesn't mean it's rough forever. Just because stuff is rough now doesn't mean the Lord isn't already working and providing. Just because we can't see what's going to happen by the end of the year financially for our building to be purchased and finished doesn't mean God's not already at work. We had something happen out of the blue that we could have never imagined. And if you look at all the little pieces that had to fall in play for this to happen, there is no way to go. This is not God. And so we long and we wait and we have no clue what's going to come from it, but we long and we wait to see what God is going to do because God is clearly at work. And the same is true for your life and my life, and I don't care the crap that you're going through. I don't care how bad your jobs are. I don't care how rough your family's treating you. I don't care what kind of mess you're going through. The Lord is in control, and you can either get on board and trust that he's bringing you through this, and he's got something on the other side of the Yamsuf, and there is dry ground to walk across, and there is food from heaven waiting for you and waters that will never run dry, or you can get out of his way because he doesn't need you hindering the rest of us. The Lord wants us to trust him faithfully. 
Notice every time God got angry with Israel, it was because Israel grumbled or walked outside of the will of God. Notice every time they walked outside of the will of God, it was because they couldn't see the bigger picture. Moses spent too much time on the mountain. He must have died. You just saw the presence of God on the top of the mountain and heard the audible voice of God speak forth, and you're questioning whether or not he has sustained your leader this time? Thousands died because of that one incident. Israel couldn't see the grander picture. They send spies into the promised land. The spies come back and say, dude, these guys are huge. <laughs> we can't do this. There's no way. We look like grasshoppers to them. You cannot do this. There's no way. Entire generation dies out. An entire generation dies out because they couldn't see the bigger picture. I mean, they saw the big picture. These dudes were big, but they couldn't see the bigger picture. They couldn't see what God had in store. But that second generation who was uninhibited in terms of trusting in the Lord, they didn't know slavery. They didn't know the, the food that they had to eat in Egypt. They didn't know the water that they had to drink. They didn't know how Egypt, quote unquote, provided for them. They didn't know any of that. All they knew was the sustenance and provision of the Lord, the miracles of the Lord in the wilderness. All they knew was God is their provision. Yeshua tells us, as a new generation of believers, as a new generation in Israel, Yeshua tells us, trust in my provision. Trust that I've got it under control. Give me your all and I'll take care of everything else. Every Shabbat we break challah, which is a reminder of the provision of God. It's a reminder of the bread from heaven that was provided for Israel. It's a reminder for us as believers of Yeshua, who is the bread of life. And we can either break that challah and actually believe what we say, or we should just stay the crap away from it because we're doing God no good. Either we're on board or we're not. We drink that wine, the grape juice, if, if you're not okay with that. We drink that, the wine uh, and we, we say Kiddush, uh, we talk about the sanctification of the wine. The wine is a reminder of the sanctification of Israel, which the Shabbat is a reminder of God providing that sanctification. We drink the wine, which is a reminder of the sanctification of the blood of the Lamb that provided freedom for Israel coming out of Egypt. We drink the wine as believers as a reminder of the sanctification of the blood of the Lamb of God who provides salvation and freedom from, uh, for us from sin and eternal life in the, the presence of the Lord. And if you can't trust in that, don't touch it. If you can't give God your all, stay away from what he's giving you. By the way, that sounds really rough, but God's never going to stay away from you, so it really doesn't matter if you try to or not. Anybody ever made that mistake? Anybody ever tried to walk away from God and notice that he's still there? It's really hard to find a place that he's not. And every time we try, it's that much more annoying when we realize that he's back behind us on our shoulders going, hey, 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 I'm here waiting. Are you coming back? Hey, God does not walk away from us and his desire is that we not walk away from him. Are you willing to trust in his provision? Are you willing to trust that he's in control? Are you willing to, in closing, I'll say this. I talk to people all the time who are um, uh, struggling with, with, and for years I've had these conversations, who are struggling with, job situations and, and dealing with getting Shabbat off and, and so on. And um, I've had really unique experiences. And by unique, I mean, um, I don't know how to explain them except that it's God doing it. But I've had experiences in my life. I worked in restaurants waiting tables for 16 years. Uh, and most of you know that. I were, did it for a long, I just, last couple of years, finally got out of restaurants. But for 16 years, I waited tables. And in, in restaurants, the big days are Friday night and Saturday. And typically, if you can't work Friday night and Saturday, you don't have a job. 
it doesn't matter. You can have whatever other days you want off, but you, don't have, you can't work Friday night, Saturdays. You, you don't have a job. That's all there is to it. Um, I've worked in almost every kind of concept you can imagine in the restaurant industry. Never once have I had a job that was not willing to give me Shabbat off. More than that, never once did I work in a restaurant where my tips at the end of the week not working the busiest days of the week were not greater than the tips of those who were willing to work the busiest days of the week. I always made more money working the days that I could work in order to honor the Shabbat. Always. And for me, I mean, it, it, perhaps it's an easier thing for me to trust. I don't know, because I grew up in this, and it's not a, a far-fetched thing for me. I don't know. But I can tell you that if the Lord tells us and leads us down a path to do something, He's already got it played out. All right? He's already got things that played out. I, I don't say this to, to tell you that if you have a job that you're working right now that you've made commitments to that are requiring you to work on Shabbat, that God wants you just to up and leave your job until He provides something else or gives you clear distinct command from him to leave your job, you honor your commitments because that's also a commandment. But the Lord wants you to trust that he is providing and he's got stuff available. And if he's called you down this path and you're living a life in which the Shabbat is supposed to be important to you and a job comes along that requires you or tries to lure you or tries to direct you to work on Shabbat, guess what? Probably ain't from God. God's not going to tell us to work against things. Right? A house divided cannot stand. God's not going to do that. It just doesn't work that way. So I want you to understand, things may look like they're hard to get to the greater picture, but that doesn't mean that God's not already painting that picture. More importantly, it doesn't mean that picture's not already painted. Are you willing to trust in what God is doing in your work of art, in your life? To trust that He is providing, that He is at work, that He is doing something for your good or do you just need to get out of his way because there's really not an in-between ground on this especially in the day and age that we live in we cannot lose another generation in the wilderness because of lack of faith and trust we can't afford it the body of messiah can't afford it we have to stand firm and true for him amen Avrahmim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you, Father. We may not always understand your ways or understand what you are doing and what you are at work in our lives with, but Father, we want to trust entirely in what you have in plan for us. We want to trust entirely in your truth and in your word and the realities of what you have in store for us. But Father, we need your help. We need your Ruach HaKodesh to encourage us, to uplift us, to build up within us a desire and a need and a, 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 an ability to trust and to walk in your ways. Father, we may not understand or know how, but we know that you are at work. So God, please build up within us a willingness to endure what we're facing. Build up within us a, a ability to trust wholeheartedly in what you're doing so that we can serve you with everything that we are and impact the world around us for the kingdom of Messiah Yeshua. For eternity, but Shemishua Meshachinu in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. Amen.